Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Pels fans, we've got a new sponsor you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 7,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbol.com to create a free account, and when you deposit, make sure to use the promo code XYZ to make your deposit risk-free. Visit HTTPS colon backspace backspace symbol.com and use the promo code SD and your deposit will be risk-free. That means even if you lose money, Symbol will refund your initial deposit. No questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. All right, let's talk about the Spotify Greenroom app. It's live, audio-only sports talk platform. You can talk to me, Chris Connor, other fans, athletes. You can talk to insiders in real time as news breaks. Get in on the conversation that you listen to here every day. After open night, go to Spotify Greenroom. Start a conversation with other fans and share your own experiences. Share your own takes on the app. This is your chance to be featured. All right, download the Spotify Greenroom app free in the iOS app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join your favorite group. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Another edition of The Bird Calls. Today, joining me, David Grubb, is Kevin Berrios and editor-in-chief of TheBirdRights.com, Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, um, we wanted our first convening of our trio in a while, and now David Fisher is joining us. So, Fish, welcome. Hello, uh, gentlemen. Uh, I would have I preferred that this uh, foursome reuniting would have been under better circumstances to start the season. But our first convening uh, brings with it some bad tidings. Today, we find out that Zion Williamson, franchise cornerstone and uh, constant topic of conversation, will not be available for the opening game of the season, that he will be evaluated um, for his the improvement on his broken right foot uh, in two and a half weeks, which means he will miss at least six games to start the season, if not more. You know, and Pelicans Nation has reacted very strongly to this news on a number of different fronts. So we will discuss those at this time. Ali, I want to start with you and just talk about the injury itself. You're, you've been uh, at practice. You've been uh, seeing both Zion up close and, and have been around the, the team, not as of late, you've been out of town, but you've seen a lot during this training camp. Um, the injury itself, what do we know at this point? The details, but what we do know is that Ali, which is basically Ali, on your Ali, you're, you're, Ali, Ali, you're breaking the- up. You're breaking up, Ali. Ali, I can't hear you, man. Kevin, speak. Yeah, you can hear me. Yeah, you're clean. Fish, speak. Yep, what's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, you're clean. Ali? I'll text him. We could just start this over, I suppose. Yeah. That would be the best thing. Yeah, seems like it. I'm texting him right now. 
It looks like he's muted himself. Ollie? Ollie? I keep unmuting him. And he keeps muting him back. Ollie? All right, I'm trying to find a better spot in the house. Is this better? Yes. That is much, much better. better. Okay. All right. When I'm trying to unmute Yeah, my I bad. I was talking and you couldn't hear me. Wait. Hold up. Talk again. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay. Should I just pick right. up uh, with the question you left? We no. should probably start over. Yeah, That's I'll much. tighten that up. I'll tell you to start. Okay, three, two, one. Welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. Joining me, David Grubb, on this episode is Kevin Berrios, David Fisher, and Editor-in-Chief of The Bird Rights, Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, I would have preferred that our first convening of the season would be under better circumstances, but today we got some bad news as Zion Williamson was confirmed to not be available to start the season. Uh, Ali, first let's start with the most practical part of this, the physical part of this, the injury itself. You've been around camp. You've seen Zion um, at times. What do we know about the injury and, and what's your impression of him physically? Well, we don't have all the details, but what we do know is that Zion Williamson broke a part of his fifth metatarsal um, bone in his right foot. Now, that can, now, now the question is, what part did he break? And it matters a lot because if you break somewhere near the, the tip where basically the muscle pulls away, that's known as an avulsion fracture, and those heal pretty darn quickly. You can also have stress fractures um, higher up, like in the mid-shaft area or higher, and those tend to heal pretty well as well. The one that we're worried about, and now I'm wondering whether Zion sustained one, is a Jones fracture. And those are the ones that happen towards the base of the bone. And with those, there's been some NBA players that have had them, and usually the recovery time is problematic because the blood flow isn't as great as it is to the other areas, right? It's limited. So... Um, and in addition, I should mention that usually these Jones fractures require surgery. Well, Zion did have surgery. So the fact that we didn't get specifics on the type of break he had, you know, is concerning because now, of course, we're seeing Zion timeline in effect be pushed back, even though he wasn't on the legitimate timeline. On media day, we basically learned that Zion had broken his foot before the start of summer camp. Uh, presumably, I'm guessing sometime in July. And so by the time training camp, and especially regular season, that would have put him about two and a half, three months out, where in most cases, from what you've read, athletes should be able to come back from this injury. Well, Zion hasn't really improved. His progression has not improved during throughout training camp until today to where he's now allowed to run. But again, it's limited. He's not allowed to run with teammates. He's not allowed any other kind of physical activity of that nature. So it's incremental steps. So to me, it sounds like he's still pretty darn far away. And Griffin reiterated that by saying that, look, he's going to be up for another scan in about two, two and a half weeks and didn't want to say there was any kind of timeline, just mentioning that Zion's going to miss the first week of the season. So take what, that, what you want from that as you will. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get into the parsing of this message, but I want to ask you something. So in that running, is he doing full speed running or is it, you know, just light running? Well, yeah, so before today, he wasn't allowed to do any kind of running. He was limited to pool work, treadmill work, just basically non-hard impact type of workouts, right? So he was allowed to dribble the ball, do some passing, some free throw shooting, stuff like that. Well, now he's able to run. From what I understand, he's able to run as hard as he wants, but it's basically one on zero is the term I think Griff used today. So it, it, you know what I mean? It's, he's going to yeah. be able to improve his conditioning, but he's not going to be that much closer to getting in the uniform. Okay, that's where we want to start. That's our baseline of information. So now let's get into these other questions. Um, first, Fish, I'm going to go to you on and this, and I'll, I'll, I'll get Kevin second. Um, for you, this team was built in the offseason around Zion Williamson. The players brought in were meant to complement Zion Williamson. They didn't have him in the preseason. They didn't have him in practices. Now they go into this season, and we know historically that this franchise, never in its history, no matter who's played for it, if it has not started at least at 500 in its first 10 games, never made the playoffs. What is the impact that this has on this team? New coach, 
new players, no Zion Williamson. It's it's going to be a struggle. Well, it's going to be a struggle because they're going to have multiple adjustment periods. The past, you know, three, four weeks, they should have been implementing the the offense, which was going to be very Zion-centric, and that hasn't happened. We've, I mean, what we've seen in the preseason hasn't really meshed whatsoever. Um, and you've had Brandon Ingram out of the lineup, and Jackson, Jackson Hayes has been out, you know, with a minor ankle tweak and things like that. So you, ha- I mean, and Willie Green started, what, three three different starting lineups in four games. So there's no kind of continuity being built. So they're going to try to build it through the first, I don't know, 10, 15 games. And then Zion Williamson's going to airplane drop in whenever he does. And then it changes everything. So the team's going to have multiple, you know, adjustment periods. And that assumes that there are no other injuries. And if you've been a fan of this team for, I don't know, longer than a week, you understand that it's, that's not how it's going to go. So, um, I mean, it, it puts them behind the eight ball a little bit in that respect. Um, the one, the positive thing I take out of the situation and how the roster is built is I do feel like the Pelicans are are looking at a situation where they had more than 10 guys who are deserving of minutes. And when you look at it that way, they, if Zion is the only major loss that they have through these next 10 games, they should have enough NBA quality players to put on the court that they should be able to be competitive. The issue is, are those pieces going to mesh, especially when they haven't really had any time on the court from what I'm gathering from what we've seen at the, the last two press availabilities after practice is everyone else seems like they're pretty much a full go outside of Zion. So essentially they have a week of practice before, before the first game counts to kind of get on the same page. And you could say that they weren't really going to be able to carry anything over from preseason in terms of their preseason games to the first regular season game, because they had this big, this big, lull in the schedule where it was just going to be practice i had thought oh you know when griff had said that i was trying to put together at at the first media day he had said you know we've been dealing with this all off season the pelicans set their own preseason schedule and i was looking at that the pelicans have a plan they expect that zion's going to be back in you know 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, from the date of the surgery. And they're all coming on board right now saying the plan is he's going to be ready game one of the regular season. And then you look we're at not how worried this... about the messaging. Like, yeah, no, no, I'm not worried about that. Not I'm, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm saying if you look at how they scheduled the preseason schedule where they front loaded all their games, their last preseason game was last I'm Monday. Talking about, we're not talking about that either. I need no, you to stay on the topic. The topic is the early season impact, and we need to, you know, keep it tight. We stay on this. The early season impact. What is the early season impact? What happens over those first 10, 15 games? So, so what I was building up towards is they have this week of practice. No, that, no, 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 no. Listen, no, because the, 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 the week of right practice here. matters. I'm stop it right here. I'm gonna stop it right here. We, I'm giving you, I don't, we don't have time for buildup. Every, we're trying to go, we have a number of questions we got to get through and everybody's got to get their answers. We don't have time for buildup. The question is straightforward. What happens at the early part of the season? I need you to answer that question from the start of that question. I don't need any preamble. Okay. Cause otherwise we're all going to be taking too long. All right. I need you to understand that. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask the question again. With this team not having Zion available for the, the first at least six games or so of this season, what is the direct early season impact for a team with a new coach, new players, and a roster that was built specifically to complement Zion Williamson? It's, it's going to be a struggle for this team right out of the gate because you're looking at multiple adjustment periods. They are not getting their feet under them from game one. So we're going to have, you know, this 6, 10, 12 game group where the team starts to get some understanding of how to play together. And then they're going to have to go through that same process again once Zion's airdropped in. So 
I mean, hopefully they can scrounge together some wins before Zion gets in, but then they're going to have to go through the adjustment period again once he's on the court and, you know, in the roster and, and, and winning games. So they can't, their trajectory is going to be more bumpy than it should be because you're looking at multiple, multiple times that they're going to have major roster changes that changes how the players interact together on the court and, and who the ball goes through. So Kevin, that's very reminiscent of Zion's rookie year in which he was gone almost to, you know, into January. So, and we had that similar type of stop and start over the season. First, I want you to address Brandon Ingram and how he dealt with that the first time, but also what that led to was the longest losing streak in franchise history. Does does that enter your mind when you think about an extended absence for Zion Williamson? Of course. I mean, my prediction is pain. You know, it's what it is. Like, you look at this <laughs> roster, and this is right. They built the team to, to fit Zion Williamson. Um, and we are in better shape than we have been in, in the past because it's a deeper team. But when you're talking about, you know, wherever you rank Zion, I think the consensus would be he's a top 25 player, if you ask anybody around. Taking a top 25 player that the whole system is built around out of your out of your team for two, three, maybe four weeks is and then filling in a guy that doesn't have, like, you I mean, you're either playing Trey, uh, Trey Murphy or uh, Najee Marshall probably in, in those roles. And those guys don't do the things that Zion Williams do at all. They are totally different players. Um, so that just puts a wrench in all of your plans, and it's just a steep drop-off. Um, offensively, at least, maybe you might be better de- defensively because those guys are better defenders at this point in their career. Um, but, I mean, it's just a, a huge uh, bump in the road that there's really uh, – nothing that that can compensate for that you can't go from a top 25 player to a like a hundredth ranked player or even below that perhaps you know it it doesn't it's especially when the whole system is predicated on that player being there um so it's like a terrible position for willie green to start his career in and it's tough for a fan base that's dealt with this for 20 years now of like kind of these slow starts these injuries these injuries that um, are supposed to be short-term and drag out into much longer. And uh, it's just the same old everything that we're used to. Right? But, you know, hopefully Brandon Ingram elevates his game, takes advantage of that, and maybe Nikhil Alexander-Walker takes that leap forward and it mitigates uh, some of the pain and suffering. Uh, you're going to see a different style of basketball, I think, because it's going to be more perimeter-based. You don't have that dominant low-post threat. Although, you know, is there to give you some of that. Um, and, but we don't even know if Jackson Hayes will be back uh, right away. It looks like he will, but you know how that goes too. So we'll see. I mean, it just feels like um, Groundhog Day all over again. Ali, um, with Brandon Ingram having to take on more of a role as the ball handler because we're not going to have Point Zion available, um, is he capable of, of taking that load on again with, with these new teammates and playing in this quick Willie green offense where he wants to move the ball very quickly is Ingram going to be able to make those decisions and not be a ball stopper and have to, and step up. And also he's going to have to be the vocal leader on court. Now there is no one else for him to lean on. Yeah. I wish I could answer your question with any kind of definitive uh, definitive, but I, I can't. Because Brandon Ingram, he's never had to lead an offense before. And when it's seemingly too much has put on been put on his shoulders in the past, it hasn't gone so well, right? Let's face it, he, he did not enter the league as a point guard. He's always become uh, – he was a scoring wing when he first came to Duke. And he's kind of pretty much carried that same role, just slowly adding more to his game every year since. But I will say that Brandon Ingram was talking about what they're going to do, the team that is, in Zion's absence. And he did mention Devontae Graham on needing to take a much bigger role. And I found that interesting because Devontae Graham, as we all know, isn't a traditional point guard. But he is very smart with the ball, right? He's posted very good assist-to-turnover ratios. So I think, honestly, Devontae's going to help a lot. I don't think it's going to be one man 
is going to be basically put in charge of running the offense, right, David? You can't fill Zion's shoes or whatever his role was going to be within this offense. So hopefully, and I think Willie Green and his coaching staff will be smart enough to figure out that we're not going to push players beyond their capabilities. So B.I. is going to do what his, you know, what his normal load was going to be probably, which is going to be what handling the offense in a set court probably a third of the time or so. Devontae's probably going to see an increase. That's why I think B.I. mentioned what he did after practice the other day. And, of course, you're going to have to parcel out the rest amongst the rest of the roster, and hopefully they'll be ready, right? Nikhil, Thomas Sadaransky, and a few others. When you look at that, uh, uh, Fish, and you talk about Sadaransky, who didn't get a ton of, uh, of opportunities to assert himself in the preseason, but certainly he's a veteran and knows what he's doing. Uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. still at times can, can be loose with the basketball. We saw the Pelicans had a problem in their three losses in the preseason with a lot of live ball turnovers. And that was, it may reduce as we get to the start of the season, but at the same time, that lack of familiarity will create these live ball turnovers. How concerned are you about that um, with this team and giving teams the advantage in that in, uh, when they don't have the advantage inside with Zion getting the points in the paint now also maybe not having the advantage defensively in points of transition. Well, I think the Pelicans will attack the security with the ball a couple of different ways. Um, Devontae Graham historically has been very careful with the ball. Um, I know he hasn't necessarily been as as careful as we would like with it um, during the preseason, but historically he's been exceptionally careful with the ball. Um, Kyra Lewis actually had one of the better assist to turnover ratios in the league um, last year um, amongst amongst point guards in general, not just rookies. Um, although I don't think that he's going to play a whole bunch, especially here starting out. Um, but I do think that they're going to lean on their veterans. You're going to have um, a lot of the ball handling and creation responsibility to go to Devonte Graham. It'll go to Brandon Ingram. Um, I think, I think what we might see a lot more, especially early on here is that the, the offense might flow through through Jonas as as kind of the fulcrum of the offense, especially with the first team. Um, outside of outside of the Philadelphia matchup, there's a lot of matchups here that he can take advantage of um, in terms of on the block, and and that should not only maybe slow to slow down the game a little bit, um, but make the reads a little simpler. And then, I mean, th- I mean, one of the biggest things that jumped out at me is that Najee Marshall still feels like he's doing a lot too much. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how you how you rein him in in that way and still maintain all of the good things he brings to the to the table, because I think there might be a uh, an expectation that the Pelicans might start him. Um, that is my expectation is that he'll probably be the starting power forward um, on opening night with Zion out. And what the biggest thing that he needs to do in the hope as as fans was that you could get a Najee Marshall in a very small defined role. Whereas, you know, what we saw in in summer league and stuff like that, he was trying to do a little too much. And I, unfortunately it feels like the trying to do too much that we saw in summer league carried over to the preseason um, as well. And hopefully over the next week, they can kind of narrow his focus because he's, he's been the culprit on a lot of those um, live ball turnovers, unfortunately. Kevin um, Sato, was your guy for a while, um, but that was a few moons ago. Um, how do you see him fitting into this offense, really? And then you take on the other Chicago Bull brought in. We saw him get those starts, and if they're relying on veterans, that means Garrett Temple's going to play 15, 20 minutes a night. What do you see those two guys' impact being uh, early on in this rotation, and how much are the Pelicans going to have to utilize them? Yeah, I mean, we kind of – Staderansky and like what I would say was our, our if we were the old Knicks era, you know, we got him a couple of years too late, but um, I still like him and I still think he's a solid player and he's a, obviously a smart veteran player. I, I do envision that with Zion out um, that Sadaransky might is, is likely to be the starting point guard, uh, but starting in sort of name only where he would play like 15 to 18 minutes a game. And then you would bring the Graham in to cook the second units and to close the game out um, sort of like the role he thrived in in Charlotte. Um, 
you know, because it's not there, you don't, you don't want to run the, I think with, if Zion was starting, then Devante would start, I think, but with, with, uh, with Zion out, I believe it's going to start the game off to help organize the offense in the half court. Um, and then when it comes to Garrett Temple, if, if, I mean, if they're playing him big minutes, then we're in trouble regardless. I mean, what we've seen uh, from him so far is he just doesn't have what it takes anymore to, to play in this league, I don't think. I mean, I think, you know, the intangibles are there, the, you know, coaching the guys up on the sideline, basically being a glorified assistant coach, fine. I don't really understand why he has a second guaranteed year. Um, I understand they had to do a three-year deal uh, to make the sign and trade work with Lonzo, and that's a whole other discussion. Um, but, you know, if he's playing big minutes, then, you know, I advise, you know, finding a new hobby because it's not going to be pretty out there. I would say this about the Pelicans offense. I think one of the things that Brandon Ingram talked about was um, utilizing his game in the mid post more this year. That's why he bulked up. I think that's going to be a very important element to this offense because there are very few people on this team who are going to draw double teams. He's probably the only one at most times. And in that mid post, you can still give people like Graham or Nikhil or uh, Trey the opportunity to move and get into a shooting position. So I think that that's something that if true, if they really have worked that into the offense will be something very important to see them utilize. Cause I think it also brings an element of steadiness to the half court to be able to throw it into Brandon, who is as that arm and uh, that great wingspan. So you should be able to throw some type of entry pass in there. Sadoransky, it certainly should be able to do that. Um, and then allow Brandon to react to that double team. And hopefully he, he makes good decisions, but I think that could be something that, that is something that would be uh, well implemented. Ali, what's your thought? Yeah, I think they may need to do something like that. We're utilizing BI, like I, like you were saying, instead of, trying to initiate from the top of a key or from the wings, right? Start in a position near the elbow or mid posts anywhere else because the Pelicans have more shooters, right? So you got to play to your strengths and B.I. is one of the only few trusted players uh, that can pass the ball and score at the same time. So yeah, David, I like it. It'll also add some variety. What I'll be curious is though, will B.I. slide to the four, right? Isn't that the main question? Who's going to take Zion's spot in the starting lineup? Because we know it's not going to be Garrett Temple, guys. There's just no way. That never appeared to be, I think, you know, in the books before we saw the results. But now that we've seen them, Kevin's already talked about it. Devon, or, excuse me, um, Temple can't play big minutes for this team if they have any kind of playoff aspirations. All right. Well, the, the, the guy that I think is the X factor and um, the person that the most eyes will be on is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Mm-hmm. who made the jump in, in a lot of ways at certain times last year. And this is the expected third year jump for him. Um, I personally, and Ali and I have talked about this. I would love to see him in that Manu Ginobili type role because there's still some raw cult energy to Nikhil. There's that, you know, and we see it at times during the preseason where it's, he gets into a mode and it's, I'm going to take this over and you can use that, He doesn't have to start the game, but he can be there to finish it because he gives you that spark. He gives you intensity and energy. He's not going to let up late. Um, But they may not be able to do that now. He may be forced in that starting role. And then the one thing I worry about then is he is definitive about this. And I think that was this. I, I said this last year. The smartest decision he said was, I'm not a point guard. I'm a scorer. And I think that becomes very important is how if you're going to start him, you have to make sure that you're not forcing him into a role that he does not excel at. Uh, Kevin, let me get you, because we'll let the governor go last. So, Kevin, let me get you on your <laughs> thoughts on Nikhil. Yeah. If he, I don't know what I am, because I was begging for Nikhil to fall to us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm one of Nikhil's biggest fans out there. I think he's great. I think he has a lot of uh, potential. Um, I think he's suffered from having a lot of inconsistency around him. And unfortunately, I think because of this situation, more inconsistency way in terms of how he's used. Um, With Zion out, I think the starting backcourt should be Sadoransky and Nikhil because as much as, uh, you know, I agree with everything you said about Brandon Ingram, 
uh, earlier about playing in, in the mid range and facilitating from there and scoring from there. But I feel like you need another guy out there who can create for himself and can create for others. And Nikhil is that guy. I mean, he's the other guy on this roster that can make his own, who can uh, score, uh, sorry, create buckets on his own for himself and for others. Um, and I think his length would help out in the backcourt as well. So I envision the starting backcourt is Sadoransky and Nikhil with Zion out. I think it changes when Zion comes back and then you see Nikhil go to the second unit so he can come out and, and cook and be, be that guy that creates on the second unit and then you use Devontae's shooting um, to help create spacing for Zion when he's on the court. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a big year for Nikhil. It's his third year. I think he's really going to – I think he has all the tools to pop. I just hope that he can get some comfort in what his role is. And I know he's going to change. It's like, you know, like we have saw with Drew Holiday for years. His role was constantly changing because somebody was in and out of the lineup, whether it was him, whether it was – Anthony Davis being out, whether it was another point guard being out, whether it was they got Boogie Cousins now, you know, and Nikhil's kind of dealt with that coaching changes, lineup changes. Um, you know, he just doesn't have, he's never had consistent minutes and consistent, this is what you're going to do for us. I, I hope that we can get to that point early in the season because I think that he can thrive in, what, in either of those roles. But I think when he's bounced up and down, and not knowing what he's going to be doing every day, you know, it, it's tough for anybody in any job. So hopefully he finds some steadiness, but I, I have all the faith in the world in him. I love him. I think, uh, you know, he can finish. He's, he's one of the best finishers around the rim on the team. Uh, he's got a three-point shot. We've seen the flashy passes, the exciting passes, the handles. Uh, he doesn't have great athleticism, but he can still create space for himself. And, you know, he's a serviceable defender, plays the passing lanes well, uses his length well. Um, so I'm excited about uh, the third year of Nikhil. And, I, you know, that's the main thing I'm going to be watching early in the season because he is my favorite Pelican. So I'm going to be focused on his development for sure. Ali, there's definitely an ease and an arrogance to Nikhil's game that I like. And there, you know, there aren't a lot of players on the Pelicans that we've come, seen come through this franchise who have that. And I love that about him. Um but I thought Kevin's analogy there to talk about Drew Holiday was really interesting. And I want to see what your th thoughts are on that because, yeah, that that combo life that really paralyzed Drew Holiday at certain times when forced into that distributor role, I think it's so much easier to let Nikhil focus on score, think score first, and whatever you create is off of your attempts to score. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, it was spot on, but I want to make sure that Fish is going to get a chance to talk about oh, Nikhil, right? It. Oh, he's going to get it, yes. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. It's something I've never thought about, and probably why Nikhil has failed so much, right? Because look at Drew. How many years did it take before he finally really got comfortable with seemingly any role? Because in Philly, he was mainly just used as a point guard um, once Andre Iguodala was traded away before, right? When Iggy was there, he was off the ball, but he didn't have a whole lot of responsibilities. And it didn't really take off uh, for him in that route until he came to New Orleans and Monty, right? Shifted his role around. He was a starting point guard. Then there was a point when he was dealing with the leg injuries, he's coming off the bench. He was a scorer sometimes, depending on if either Tyreek or Eric Gordon were out. But if they were both playing, then he was strictly a facilitator. And we saw that. It kind of messed with his head, right? He would have these inexplicable games to where defensively you knew what you were getting largely. But offensively... He could have those, what, two, four, 15 shooting nights or five assists versus maybe like six turnovers, five turnovers. And so that really hurt, right, the Pelicans, because they relied on him for a lot of usage. But his incons inconsistencies really hurt the team as a whole. So I feel like that's what we've seen on Nikhil the first couple of years and why he's honestly thrived as a starter. Um, he's what everybody knows, everybody's talked about, but he's averaged, what, about 19 points as a starter on pretty darn good shooting percentages. And it seems like when you let him just feel, find his way into the game, not needing to, as soon as he comes in, needing to feel, I've got to make an imprint because I'm only going to be out there for 10 minutes, it hasn't suited him. So either way, I'm with Kevin. I think either you give him that six-man role, manage nobly like, he should succeed in it. But I'm, as I mentioned on your show earlier, David, which completely um, coincides with what Kevin said, I want to see Nikhil start. 
I think B.I., it's too much for him just to be the lone creator, the lone multi-threat out there because everybody's got their limitations that he would be out there with. But Nikhil would have that potential of being B.I.-like. And I think you need to have at least two scores, especially in the starting lineup, like that out there. Fish, I know I know you have spent many a night looking up at your ceiling and envisioning what <laughs> Nikhil's third year would look like. I, 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 You may have played out every game in your head at this point. Man, we've suddenly gone after dark. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. you know, I'm just messing with you. Um, but seriously, what what do you envision would be the best role for Nikhil? And do you think he's going to get the opportunity to fulfill that role um, this season? On that, I, I, I've been bouncing back and forth between Nikhil would be best served as a starter because maybe it tames some of that wild cult you were mentioning in terms of the fact it, it knocks him down a couple rungs in terms of he's not the first option, he's the third option at, at, at best behind eventually Zion and Brandon Ingram, and maybe we can kind of clean up his game. Um, and most of the early summer before we saw uh, Trey Murphy really in action, especially in the preseason, I was I was leaning heavily towards, you know, the Pelicans should start Devontae and they should start Nikhil and they should just get both those guys in the lineup. After seeing what Trey can do and also the fact that Zion's going to be out and I don't really want like like both. Kevin and Ali mentioned, I don't want Nikhil's role to change when Zion is dropped back into the fray. I think that Nikhil's best situation here, at least between now and, I don't know, 30, 40 games, is have him be your sixth man coming off the bench. He's the first guy that comes off the bench. And let let him roam free let him embrace you know his his personality on the court um give him free reign with that second unit that we want to push the pace we want to defend and you know you you have the green light and you're going to get these i mean even if he's a six man i still i still envision that he's probably going to get somewhere between 24 and 28 minutes every night and he's going to finish games even if he doesn't start the games, because you might not be in a situation where you're really comfortable with Trey Murphy finishing games, even if he's going to start early on. So that that's the role that I see him in. I think it's the role that's, that's going to best suit him, especially here early on so that his, his role doesn't change too much from without Zion to with Zion, put him in that sixth man role, let him know that he's going to get these minutes. He's going to get these minutes every night. I mean, there's there's nobody I see on the roster that is pushing Nikhil for minutes. Mm-hmm. As, as much mm-hmm. as we talk about how much how much depth there is and how many you know players are on this roster that are rotation capable players, Nikhil to me is still one of the five best players on the roster. But I think he's best served as being your sixth man so that his role doesn't change. And so you can kind of maximize his strengths. And hopefully in doing that, you can eventually kind of chop down on the wild shot attempts that he's taking and some of the more costly and just brain dead turnovers that he occasionally commits. I will close out on this. You never really got all of that out of Manu. You know what I mean? There were still those insane moments for Manu, and he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. I think, to me, I want Nikhil to remain fearless. That's what I want for him, because there are too many fearful dudes on this roster. And I want Nikhil, with his talent and his ability, his and like I said, that, that arrogance that he does have, and there are very few guys that walk that arrogance that he's got on this roster. I say let it fly. And bring him off that bench, give him, and say, this is your offense. You handle it. Everybody plays off of you. But that responsibility, I think, will mature him. Because that's what they did with Manu. They, they, they said, look, you're in charge of the second unit, but you screw around and you come and sit down and pop would sit in. But, you know, I think that that giving Nikhil the responsibility, he's the kind of person I think that would grow into it. That's what I'll say on that. Um, before we get into the questions that we got, the last thing I would ask each of you very quickly 
is there's not a lot available on the free agent market to bolster their front court right now. Uh, if you get Nicola Melli, he's available. Um, but there's not really anyone out there as a free agent. Do you do you do any of you envision a scenario where the Pelicans do add someone in the in the front court to kind of uh, help rebounding and 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 repl- replicate something? Not through free agency. I mean, I think the only thing they would do is make a trade to bolster that for like a long-term piece, um, just using some of the contracts that they have, but most of the guys that they would want to trade, they couldn't trade yet anyway. Um, so I don't see them making any moves now. Ollie Fish? Yeah, I can't think of anybody. I mean, who's out there still? Mike Scott, I think DeMarcus Cousins, Julio Okafor, who was just recently waived. None of those guys you feel like can help, right? You The Pelicans chased – who they wanted knowing full well, I think Zion's injury, right? Cause his injury happened July free agency was first week of uh, August and they chased Jermichael green. Uh, who else was mentioned? Paul Millsap and maybe a few others. And considering those, that, those, that type of skill and talent isn't sitting out there. I don't see why you make a move. It just makes me depressed of the roster spot right now that Garrett Temple's occupying. Can you imagine getting Thaddeus Young instead? I was thinking about that earlier. Oh, God, man. Don't just like if exactly. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. (laughs) I know what you're saying. Just exactly. You are correct. Thaddeus would be perfect, would be an ideal answer. Willie Green would have loved him. Hmm. Oh, well. Okay. Um, So let's get into the question. Uh, I think we've addressed uh, pretty much lineup makeup. So we'll leave that one be. But uh, this one will will be what the other hot button. Um, the question essentially is, who do you trust more, David Griffin or John Gruden? But in the larger context, let's put it this way. David Griffin today, at his press availability, I believe essentially lied. He lied. Um, we heard what he said. We heard what Willie Green said. We heard what Zion Williamson said at media day. And the parsing of the message and the outright ignoring of facts today further damaged the credibility of someone who was already skating on very thin ice. Kevin, I'll start with you because you are the the most fan-centric and you and I have been on the anti-Griff train for a long time. Boo, where are you with this with this guy? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's it's what was expected. I think all of us, I don't think any of us really thought that that was true that Zion Williamson would be ready for week one. I think we all thought he would miss four to eight games, probably. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like we've had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, like, making statements like that, it just doesn't serve anyone. I mean, like, now we see from several of the, the way they handled his injury to the way that I believe also that he lied about Zion being ready for, for game one. Uh, how that didn't serve the player, it didn't serve the training staff, it didn't serve himself, and it didn't serve the fan base, and it didn't serve the media at all. Like, now you have fans turning on Zion Williamson. Like, you know, initially it was like, hey, Zion ghosted his teammates and and, at these practices there. While all the while, everybody knew – in, in the building that he was injured. Like, what's the point in not announcing his injury? Why wait till till um, media day to announce that injury? It's going to come out. Uh, the guy's not going to be practicing. He's going to have a boot on. Like, what? What is the like? What did that serve other than to uh, build weird contempt and and again uh, this air of untrustworthiness and dishonesty and withholding uh, of this uh, front office? And then now. You know, every offseason, we start with a David Griffin proclamation that is just ridiculous and that is untrue. And here is another one. I mean, I think anybody with any sense, when we heard broken foot, we knew that he wasn't going to be ready week one. You know, and like, I don't understand why you can't just say he has a broken foot. We're not sure exactly when he's going to come back. We'll update you as he progresses. Like, why is that so hard to say instead of, building these expectations and then it makes staff look like they failed. It looks like makes Zion Williamson look like he's not preparing the way he should, taking his training the way, um, to heart the way he should, taking his preparation the way he should. 
Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm just so over David Griffin. Like, like you said, I'm the fan of this group. And I used to write a lot for, for the bird rights. And I haven't written basically since he came over because he kind of killed my fandom. Like, um, it, it's very frustrating. And I would love to have, like, like, everything should be right for this team. Everything should feel good. We have another transit. Uh, a generational star. We have uh, an all-star. We have a deep roster. We have a owner that's investing in the team, and yet there's just this dark cloud over it. And I just feel like it all stems from him, and it's extremely frustrating. And I don't really understand the people who constantly go to bat for him when he hasn't produced anything. I mean, every year he's tearing down everything that he built, whether that's the coaching staff, whether that's the roster. And then all these proclamations that he makes that have proven to be false continually every year. So I just don't understand like how we're choosing David Griffin over Zion Williamson. And that's not to say Zion isn't at fault for some things, but you know, look at it this way. I I left a job very recently where I was working my ass off and like it was so disorganized from the top that it made it impossible for me to do my job effectively. And I was working like crazy and I wasn't getting paid what I should get paid. So I left and Zion Williamson, because of the way contracts are structured in the NBA, he's not getting paid what he should get paid because he's a top 25 player in this league and he's making a lot less than that. And when he's looking around him, Jake Madison says this all the time on his podcast, like what, like what has David Griffin done? to inspire buy-in and commitment from Zion Williamson because everything he's done has been a complete failure. Uh, Fish, has has David Griffin essentially salted his earth already um, in two, two plus seasons? I mean, like, you look at this and, and you, you have the attacks on his credibility, which I feel are legitimate, and then you have the decision-making as well that goes into those Failed moments. Can he be effective when running this organization in the long term? I mean, winning would cure all. Um, well, cure all. It would cure a lot. Um, and that maybe is like his only real path back. Um, but like the, the thing with this specific situation is it's a completely forced error. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a completely unforced error. Like you didn't have to say he's we're expecting him back at the beginning of the regular season. He's six foot six, 285 pounds, wink, wink, you know, and he broke his foot. Come on. Like why, why are we setting, why are we setting deadlines like that? Like there's no reason to do that. Like you, there, there was something simple that you pointed out the Memphis Grizzlies, um, Dylan Brooks is dealing with, I don't know, it's like a fractured hand or something like that. Not even a weight bearing, you know, joint here. And we're not talking about somebody who's, you know, 285 pounds. And the Grizzlies initial response was, we're going to reevaluate in two to three weeks. Not he's going to play in two to three weeks. We're going to reevaluate in two to three weeks. If the Pelicans would have just said that, three weeks ago, we're going to reevaluate in two to three weeks, then there wouldn't have been this kind of hubbub about it. There would have been, he's probably not going to be ready for the first week of the season, but he might be there for the second week. And heck, Zion might be available for the second week if he's running and he gets himself, you know, into into good shape over these next two weeks. And then the next set of scans um, come back come back good and griffin said that the this first set of scans uh, this most recent set of scans that they did the doctors were happy with it but there was just there's no way that the plan was zion's not gonna run until a week before the season we're gonna get some scans and then depending on that he might start to run and also we're expecting him to play a week from then there's 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 no sane place where that was the plan because media day wasn't that long ago. No. It was, it was two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. So either there's some kind of big setback that has occurred that they're not telling us about, which might've been, and I'm going to let Ollie touch on that. Cause I think Ollie <laughs> has some thoughts on that. Or 
you know, this was the plan. Everything's, you know, going to uh, according to schedule. He might be a little bit behind because, you know, while they say, you know, this this injury should take X to X weeks to heal, that doesn't necessarily mean that every single person is going to fall into that range. There will be exceptions. That's why you reevaluate and then go from there. They set an unrealistic expectation from the beginning that they should have known better especially because they've dealt with this before with this player, with his knee in 2019, where they said it's going to be six to eight weeks and then it ended up being 13 and a half. Like, why, why are you setting yourself up for failure? Nobody forced you to do that. That's all on you. It makes no sense. Ali, you were there for the statements and you also um, have listened to some other statements and you've had, a, you, you posed the question, has there been a setback what is your thought on that? Yeah, I'm inclined to think that David Griffin didn't outright lie. I think that something has happened to where it's changed Zion Williams' timeline. There's too much besides what Griffin said on media day, right, where he was talking about there was a timeline for return to play. and But it wasn't just him. It also came from Zion, who I just don't believe is going to go up there and fabricate, make a complete fabrication, say, I expect to be back for the first game. Nor do I expect Willie Green to pretty much say the same thing, saying, you know, the timeline is that we're hopeful he can start the season. So basically, both of those guys were thinking realistically there was a chance for him to return. Something happened between September 27th and, you know, uh, these latest scans to where it's it's either been a setback or maybe something hasn't. There hasn't been that progress that the doctors were hoping to see, like with the bone being stronger or whatever test they run, something just didn't. perform up to par right with with the expectations so i that that's my gut instincts is that something like i says deviant that's why i think that maybe honestly zion williamson sustained a jones fracture because those are the problematic ones those are the ones where you need surgery and where healing can be impacted to where it's not linear right to where you do face a lot more hurdles than with any other parts of the break of that fifth metatarsal so yeah, that, that's where my head's at. I just don't believe, right, that Media Day was such a big charade put on by Griff and the gang or whatever you want to no, call I, it, I would, Just, right? Well, I would say, look, again, like Fish says, and my thing has always been, he didn't have to say anything other than Zion has had surgery. He will not play in the preseason because you knew that that was already the case. They had already determined that. Well, they didn't roll it out completely, right? That's another thing. Okay, but even that, I wouldn't have said it. That's the whole thing is you didn't have to say that he might play because you don't give people any expectations. No, I agree because we all know that Zion needs time to ramp up, right? So the expectation, why do they keep doing this? Why do they keep giving you an expectation that they don't Yeah, unforced error is better than a liar fabrication just in my book, right? It just feels, but it feels like this is the part that bothers me though. When directly asked that question though, he acted like there was no way people would take it to mean that Zion was going to play on day one. And that feels like you're trying to intentionally make people feel stupid because if if everybody believed it. I mean, it's the same thing. I, I play keyboard, not piano. It's the same thing, you know, like this guy is just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, let's go to the Zion criticism because it's turned into two different camps. There's yeah, and real quick, criticism. David, we, one, yeah. one thing we've got, what we've got to touch on that hasn't been mentioned yet is why, okay. right? Because that's what Kevin was basically asking. One thing I think I've at least learned substantially over these couple of years is that Zion's family has a lot of input, and David Griffin does bend over backwards to appease him and his family. And I think that's the main reason why he is keeping his name out of the injury news, right? That's why it wasn't first mentioned over the summer. But look what this has done, though. That's, I know, I know, but I just want to mention the, the why part because it's important, David. You know this. Yeah. Superstars get treated differently, okay. especially in non-prime locations. But you look really got to bend done. over backwards. But look what that. this has done now. You've got a fan base that has but it, turned But it's a better option than reasons. having your superstar want to leave tomorrow or have it be another notch in the belt of wanting to leave. Right? Do you think I don't he, know. Is it the lesser of two the, evils? I don't well, know. The fans are saying, "Get him the fuck out now," and that, that's honestly what people are saying. I know there are people yeah, who are it's now not good. at the it's, point where, and and that's partially the blame on Zion's family to me. Right? They absolutely. think that they're Everybody helping. Everybody gets some of it, but Griff yeah. is the one who's the responsible body for the organization. And if he says, and that's what he came in with, was his edict was, 
I have to do what's best for the organization at all times. That's what he's basically. And, it's, and some people would argue, David, that the best thing for the organization is keeping Zion happy. Keep him here in New Orleans as long as possible. But here's right. the thing. The guy spends his day just trying to sell stuff to people, right? He can't sell to Zion's family that if he lose this now, it's going to be worse later on. Like, I mean, that's what his like job gonna, is. Yeah. Yeah, that's my thing. Is like, like, they couldn't game plan this out that, hey, if we set an expectation and we miss it again – it's going to look bad and it's going to look bad on all of us. It's going to look bad on me because this is the second time I've done this. I agree. It's going to look bad yeah. on you because I mean, and that's why I think there was a they setback. have to have their, they have to have their ear to the ground enough to understand that there is at minimum murmurs and more likely a grumble in the fan base of Zion doesn't seem to be committed to being an NBA player right now and getting getting and keeping himself in the shape to to continue to do that and his stepfather you know is his like private trainer what's going on here and we need to be unified on message and instead the choice was made that we're going to be unified on message and the message is going to be he's going to be available night one that's it just yeah <laughs> It doesn't make look, sense. Look, so look what the fallout has been because of that. The fallout makes it so that you have people who said, well, we, we've been conditioned to think that our superstar is going to leave, so let him go now. You have another group of people who say, well, look, now at this, and you, and, and I think it's a reasonable conversation to have. It's just everybody's not having it reasonably. Can you presume that this is a guy who's going to be healthy enough in his career to really be your franchise player, no matter what his level of talent is? And then you have a third group of people who just say, he doesn't give a damn anyway. So this is what you've created in your fan base by not mm-hmm. keeping them minimally informed. Minimally informed. And uh, to me, that just, to that to me is something that will affect Zion in a lot because that's what people will use now. The clutches, the, the, the other general managers, this is what you, these are the moments of inflection where you say to somebody, this is the shit you have to deal with in New Orleans? It's, 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 it's just, it's terrible optics. Like, like you mentioned there. And then, I mean, as you mentioned, like Zion's such a unique player and this roster has been built and molded, especially this year to hopefully be in a situation where they are going to maximize his talent, not necessarily maximize wins. If he's not on the court, it's all about maximizing wins when he is on the court. And then, you know, he can't be available and stuff like that. And it it does. It's very frustrating because here the Pelicans are again, building around a power forward who the previous power forward couldn't, didn't want to play center. This power forward just can't play center because he's too short um, and he's not a rim protector. So you have to jump through all these hoops to try to build a team that's going to maximize around him. And then you're still running into the issue of, his availability and it's it's frustrating as a fan because there's a lot of players to be excited about Trey Murphy mm-hmm. and Nikhil exactly. Alexander Walker and I mean Devontae Graham. About we, the roster. We, I mean we haven't we haven't even really talked about Devontae Graham the last preseason game. He got hot and he kind of showed what he's going to be able to do. And it's it mm-hmm. and it's and it's one it's wonderful to think, man, look at what look at what Devontae Graham could do if he was playing that like JJ Reddick role that we saw JJ Reddick playing with Zion Williamson, where he's the screener and he's popping out. And can he get easier shots than he's ever been get been getting in his career? Because it's just going to be easy catching shoots and stuff like that. It'd be wonderful to talk about all that stuff, but the thing is, is that the fulcrum of all of this is a guy that's not going to be there again. And that's all we're able to talk about because we weren't prepared for it. We could have moved to that direction of being positive about everything, but here you are six days before the season starts and it feels like the rug has been pulled out from under you. And I think that that's, again, like you said, Fish, it's an unforced error. It's something that didn't have to happen. And it's going to take winning. That's the only thing is that this team is going to have to get out the, the gate and it can't have a 13-game losing streak. It can't have a five-game losing streak. It just can't. It can't do that. And and the likelihood is that with all these new faces, it's going to happen. Not a 13. I'm not going to put that on it. But they're going to be those same three 
and four game losing streaks that we've seen over the last several years. And that to me is just, it's, that is extremely frustrating both from covering it, you know, and having to write about it. And then it's frustrating to just think about as, as a basketball fan, it's just frustrating to think about that. You have to take this team that does have some very high end talent that you would love to see work together on a consistent basis. And it just feels like you may never get that. Yeah. And it, like going back to the unforced error, like if they would have reported this literally months ago, In July, right? Yeah. If they would have reported this months ago or sometime after the free agency period, right? And then you hear everybody but Zion, because Zion's rehabbing, is in Nashville together and mm-hmm. we're all working and trying to build this. And then our whole preseason, it's going to be, you know, building this up. There would be a, a way different energy around this Absolutely. team because you could have pumped and dumped the Zion negativity in August. And when like the first Saints game comes out and James Winston throws for five touchdowns on 140 yards passing. Like we, we could have just pumped and dumped that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, six days before the, the, before the opening of the NBA season, Oh, by the way, even though we said Zion's going to be here, he's not going to be here. And like all the, the thing is that all the rest of that still happened, not the optics part of it. The, everybody on the team except for Zion did go to Nashville and they did work together and they had all preseason, you know, to practice. And yeah, BI's, you know, minor thing that he was working with, you know, it from what I've gathered, even though he was sitting for preseason games, he was probably like is still going like half speed or something, or still practicing during that period of time. They were just being extra cautious with him, and he's back to full strength in practice now. So everything else, all the rest of those positive things that I just mentioned still are happening, but now the focus is on this bad thing when they could have just swept it out of the way, and instead they're drawing attention to it at precisely the wrong time. Let's let's um, end on that because I, I I don't know where else we can go with it. Um, it is what it is now, and we will find out in the next few days what the status of the rest of these guys are. If Brandon Ingram's ready to go, if Jackson Hayes is ready to go, um, and and what the start potential starting lineup will be, we probably won't even know that till, till game time against the Sixers. Um, we'll do this again before the season starts. Um, and we'll be more regular about it uh, now that we are back to, to basketball. But, gentlemen, any final thoughts? Ali, I'll start with you. I just want to let everybody know that we've got three roundtables coming out where we discuss, right, how much time where you actually think Zion Williamson's going to miss because, obviously, that's important. It's going to completely impact the Pelicans' record and getting off to a good start. And then, of course, talking about who is another important player to the success of the Pels behind, besides B.I. and Zion, which is, again, It'll be crazy important now. So, yeah, stay tuned for those articles. Kevin, any final words? Um, no. <laughs> um, I will say this, though. I will say this. A lot of the new guys that they added to this team, I actually have had communication and contact with on a regular basis, uh, and they are very nice guys and good guys to cheer for. So that's something good. You know, the guys that seem to be very happy to be in this city um, and uh, are very cordial to the people that they meet in the street. Um, so that's something to be proud of. Uh, and, and again, you know, pick you, pick you a guy, uh, you know, a second player to love and watch that guy grow over these next couple of weeks while we wait for his to come back. You know, for me, it's Nikhil. I've, He's the reason I'll be uh, tuned in intently, seeing how he plays and cheering him on because I love Nikhil. Um, and that's it. I will say this before I hand it off the fish to close, and then I'll wrap it up after that. Um, I wanted to say this. I think, Kevin, you make a great point there in talking about that this is a team you can root for. Um, there are a lot of players on this team to like. I believe that. Um, I'm very excited about Herb Jones. And to see what he can bring to the table. I'm excited to see if Najee Marshall does develop. I'm excited to see, um, you know, of course, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I'm, I'm hoping to see more maturity and more consistency out of Jackson Hayes. Um, and I hope that, again, that with Jonas Valanciunas, as talented as he is, I hope he's committed to being 
a you know a leader on this team. If those things are great, there still be things to root for. Um, so yes, I think there is optimism, but there is frustration, and we have to acknowledge that. Fish, your final thoughts. Man, I'm just trying to flush today because mm-hmm. I mean th- there is a there is a lot of positive to to think about with this with this team and this roster going forward, and. Man, if they can just get off to a quick enough start, like just rack up a couple wins, look a lot better than they did. I mean, they get Minnesota, you know, two games in Minnesota. One thing we haven't talked about, they get two games in Minnesota, so they're not going to have to go to Minnesota in the freaking winter, man. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? It doesn't matter when they've gone to Minnesota recently. So hopefully that's true. Better but... against Minnesota than they have in the past. I mean, but but they're getting they're getting both games out of Minnesota quick, and then I think they have both games in Utah or in Denver early in November before it's going to be freezing and like feet of snow and stuff. Like they're getting the crappy road trips out of the way early before the weather's terrible. So good on the Pelicans, but just man, if they just come out and they play hard. And they give the fans like something to root for and mm-hmm. and believe in. Like this city will have the teams back a, a, a thousand percent. They are dying for a team to root for and to freaking love. And and we we haven't had that since 2018 in the Portland series. And I, I want it back. I want that feeling back. Yeah, it can't be that the best team we've seen since that playoff series is the summer league team from this year. That can't be the bar. You know what I'm saying? So, But hopefully they play with that type of aggression. And I would just say, for Willie Green, dude, we feel for you. I'm going to say that to you. Nobody, no rookie coach should be dropped into a situation like this and be under the insane amount of pressure you're going to be under. But we are rooting for you, dude. We are rooting for you, Willie. We want you to succeed. So <laughs> on behalf yeah, of the guys. Yes. Yeah, but let's yeah, I, let's admit that he, Willie Willie's handled it with such a plum, right? Oh he, yeah, but yeah, games ain't been played yet, and you don't know, right. Yeah, the pressure isn't on completely yet. You're right. So it's going to be a much different story once the ball gets thrown up. But I, I think you know, I hope Willie gets the time that this situation seems that it might not provide. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but until the next time, for Kevin Barrios, for David Fisher for Ali Cosell. I am David Grubb. This has been The Bird Calls. Let's go, Pels. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate... You can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.